Hello and welcome to Intellectual Medicine with me, your host, Dr. Steve Pederuti. This is the show where we explore the elements that go into living your longest and healthiest lifespan. The things we discuss are not intended to replace medical advice from your doctor, nor are they intended to treat or diagnose any condition that you may have. I advise you always to seek consultation with your doctor before considering applying any of the principles that we discuss on the show. So with that disclaimer, let's move forward. And this week, this time, I need to be talking about the new drug for Alzheimer's and how awful it is that it was released upon an unsuspecting public. This fits into the category, the philosophy, if you will, of waiting for stuff to happen and then attempting to remedy it after the fact. This has become a large measure of what current medicine does. Wait, wait, wait. We know it's rusting. Wait, wait longer. Uh, let's try to fix it. Alzheimer's, ladies and gentlemen, is not a disease that occurs in a moment. It doesn't just come upon you in your age, but rather it builds over decades, much like a rusting radiator getting clogged or other degenerative phenomena. The beginning stages of Alzheimer's goes back decades. So our treatment, our intervention should go back just as far. Well, Alzheimer's is not a diagnosable entity. That is, there is no test for it. You simply have to wait to what, lose your memory? And then we have these awful labels, Med, uh, MCI, mild cognitive impairment. Yeah, you're just a little bit demented. Now, MCI is a term, it's a diagnostic label used by doctors to describe cognitive loss that occurs and they don't know where it's gonna go next. It's only mild. You're not really uh, diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, but it could end up being that. It's a horrible diagnosis to acquire. It is an entity that needs to be addressed vigorously. We'll talk about some thoughts in that regard. And certainly, it is not a call for drug therapy. There is no treatment known to cure or reverse Alzheimer's disease. Despite all the publicity around the new drug, it's Aduhelm, A-D-U-H-E-L-M is the trade name. And I'll tell you why I think this is such a tragedy. On the one hand, it plays into this perception that you simply need to wait for Big Pharma to come through with another breakthrough that'll cure Alzheimer's. Folks, it ain't coming. The cure for Alzheimer's ain't walking through that door anytime soon. It is a consequence of cumulative trauma and insults to the brain, which we will be discussing. You cannot wait for the vase to crack and try to glue it back together and consider that a cure. In addition to this new drug not curing Alzheimer's and not reversing dementia, it causes compelling side effects. Intracranial bleeding and brain swelling are two. So think about it. Here's a drug that doesn't cure the disease it's intended to help and has compelling adverse side effects. How in the world did it ever get approved? It's a good question. The subcommittee at the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, in November of 2020, voted not to approve this drug. The drug did show evidence of reducing the amyloid beta plaques 
These are those little globs that accumulate in the brain and are felt to be a marker or perhaps even a cause of dementia. The drug helped to dissolve the plaques. Nice. The pharmaceutical company got very excited. The investors got very excited and they plowed forward with studies. Problem, the drug didn't work to really affect dementia. The initial study was, well, equivocal at best. But they have money invested, folks, big money. So they pushed through. And somehow, magically, the drug got approved. And then it's being touted as a breakthrough. It's horrible. It sucks energy, money, and attention away from things that can more effectively address the problem. This drug, not only does it not work to reverse dementia, not only does it have adverse side effects, but its cost, are you sitting? Over $50,000 per year. $50,000 per year. Now think about the extortionist pressure this can put on a family. Well, you know, your, your mother has early onset dementia or your wife, fill in the blank. Well, doctor, what can we do? Well, there is this new drug. Oh my God, let's get it. You can see the emotional response. On the one hand, there is nothing. On the other hand, there's the drug. People put their faith in the FDA-approved drug. So at 50-odd thousand per year, you're sucking money out of the system that could be better directed toward things that are known to help, things that are known to help your health, things that are known to be toxic and damaging to the brain. If we're distracted by false hope, it can divert us away from substantive change. So if you're listening to this, you're at risk for dementia. Sorry, folks, just how it goes. I want you to live forever. Okay, if that's not possible, let's shoot for over 100. That is very doable. I aim for 120 personally, and I advocate my patients to do the same. It's not a pipe dream. It's a plan, and it's a plan worth executing, but you better take care of your brain. The seat of the soul is in the brain. Who wants to live an aged life and not take your memories, your emotions, and your relationships with you? So start before the disease begins. Don't wait for the drug. It is not coming. Alzheimer's disease is multifaceted, and many of us, myself included, believe it is largely environmental. Well, where does that belief come from? Environmental studies, population studies, for instance, in rural Nigeria, the uh, rate of dementia for men and women aged 75 to 84 is 1.69%. In the United States, African-Americans, 75 to 84, Alzheimer's rate over 8%. What's the difference? Same genetics. In Japan, very low rate of dementia. Japanese-Americans who moved to Hawaii have a jump up in their rate of dementia. Something is going on. Well, recent evidence points toward copper and iron accumulation in the brain as a connection to dementia. Copper and iron. Where's that copper come from? Copper pipes. Even your supplements. If your supplements have copper in them, I don't advise you take them. Copper is toxic to the brain, and it can be very hard to track. You cannot do a blood test to figure this out. 
you need to avoid the copper altogether, specifically the free-floating type of copper. That's the type that seems to be most toxic. Now, what they found in recent studies is that the brain buried iron and copper in the amyloid beta plaques. And this is consistent with what others are now starting to perceive, and that is the plaques may not cause dementia. The plaques may be a response that is the body's attempt to defend itself against the agents which are contributing to dementia, like copper, like iron. That's one of the reasons why people should be very cautious about taking an iron supplement. It's not something you want to do without exquisite specific indications. If you're anemic, that's not a reason to take iron. Many forms of anemia occur in the absence of iron deficiency. If you're a man, taking iron is largely counterproductive. You're not bleeding. You don't menstruate. You should not need iron. There's plenty of it in dietary sources. The same thing holds true for copper. I advocate copper-free supplements. And although in America you can't escape copper pipes, it's really dreadful, isn't it? I mean, what kind of pipe should you use? Copper is toxic. Lead pipes are toxic. It's a problem. Get yourself a high-quality filter at the source of your drinking water. They're not horribly expensive, and they can take out all these trace heavy metals. So this drug, 50,000 plus per year, is a great example of why we need to be proactive in protecting our brain. Alzheimer's is one of the most dreaded entities that can occur to a man or a woman. Its early stages are hard, if not impossible, to identify. Many Alzheimer's patients or folks with cognitive decline retain social interactive capabilities, even as the memory is fading. So in other words, you can chat with them and they seem pretty normal, but inside the brain is starting to, to decline. Cognitive testing can be of some help. There's a test known as the Montreal Cognitive Assessment Test, MOCA is abbreviation. It can be done in a doctor's office. It takes about five to 10 minutes. It's a score of zero to 30. 30 being the top, the normal range can be calculated and it can be used as a metric to assess cognitive function. We use it in intellectual medicine and people that are either at risk or facing some early signs of cognitive decline. Simple question, how's your brain working? And if the answer is, well, that's a problem. Anybody that pauses and says, well, that's an issue. Now, not how is your brain performing compared to other people your age. That's not relevant. Look, if everybody is suffering the same fate of decline, it gives you little comfort to decline with them. The purpose of listening to this podcast, the purpose of intellectual medicine, the purpose of being an outlier is so that we can identify elements of health elements of anti-aging and apply them to our life right now. And herein is the crux of the problem. Knowing whether or not it will help your brain is impossible to decide based upon studies. If it takes 20 years for dementia to occur through accumulated toxins and insults, you cannot practically do a study for 20 years. At least None will be done in your lifetime or mine. So we have to take this basic scientific evidence and apply it. Some of which I'm sharing with you right now.
copper and iron have been identified inside the amyloid beta plaques in the brain. They are felt to be a cause, that is the plaques are felt to be caused in part by the brain's attempt to protect itself from these toxic metals. Now comes a drug that can dissolve the plaque. Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe dissolving the plaques creates a space, a vacuum, where the plaque used to be that can contribute to the bleeding. That's one of the side effects that ironically may even release the iron and copper back into the brain in a paradoxically damaging manner. These are unknown variables. So what can you do? Not just sit there, okay? How about, how about doing word puzzles? It's, it's good to keep your brain engaged. Social engagement helps. But it doesn't protect you from the poisons. And what are those? We talked about two. The other one is lead. You cannot avoid it. It's everywhere. We've been smelting lead for 5,000 years. It's in the air, the water. It's in the dirt. It grows from the dirt through the roots into the plants, and we eat it in our food, all of our food. We drink it in our wine, all of our wine. We drink it in our water, even if you have lead-free pipes. A lead-free pipe is allowed to have a certain percentage of lead in it and still be labeled lead-free. Although there's no escaping exposure to lead, we can do rational things to try to minimize it. Then, it's my opinion, that to a man, to a woman, everybody needs to take action to get the lead out of their body. I advocate that starting as early as you can through intravenous chelation. It's a very safe treatment rendered at intellectual medicine and their infusion centers throughout the country. There's one that is now opening called Drip Bar that I believe has the highest standards of safety that I've seen in the uh, industry. They use sterile mixing and they have the highest level of compliance regarding regulatory requirements. Back to the purpose though. The purpose is to protect your brain. We don't know if lowering your total body load of lead over the span of 20 years will protect your brain, but it makes sense. We know that lead causes intellectual impairment in children when they're exposed. And we know that it is a direct neurotoxin. So reducing the amount of lead in your body is just logical. Pick a path and then start on it. Another thing to protect your brain, control percent body fat. There's a study correlating obesity with a more accelerated rate of shrinking of the brain. This was done on sequential CAT scanning studies. So reducing body fat makes sense. Another thing that can help your brain, I believe replacing hormones is critical. There are accumulating studies correlating low hormone levels to increased rates of dementia. These are studies in women who've had hysterectomies correlating with an increased rate of dementia later in life and in men who have had their testosterone levels lowered because of treatment of disease states correlating with higher rates of dementia later in life. Not a good bargain. There are other studies correlating lifetime exposure to hormones in women with decreased rates of dementia. Women who are even on birth control pills for an extended period 
any form of hormone replacement, even the old-fashioned horse urine stuff that I do not advocate using. Nevertheless, it has been correlated with a decreased rate of dementia. Folks, hormones are neurotransmitters. Testosterone is essential for healthy brain functioning in men and women. Estrogen and progesterone, likewise, have cognitive impact. So now we have to put these pieces together. The studies looking at populations in Japan, in Africa, where there's less toxicity and less toxic exposure. Another thing those countries have in common, a lower rate of obesity. Then we factor in the evidence growing regarding hormones, and we factor in vascular health. Remember, the brain is a vascular organ. 20% of all the blood flowing through the body is going through your brain at any given time. If your arteries are damaged, then the brain cells will be damaged. There's a form of dementia called vascular dementia. And this is when little capillaries are damaged, gradually destroying brain cells over decades. If you have heart disease, there's a high potential for cognitive decline to be happening because the same arteries are feeding the brain as are feeding the heart. These are the correlations. This is the evidence. This is the path. Build your anti-aging pyramid. Start with foundational pieces. Don't wait for drugs. Drugs can be helpful in acute toxic circumstances, but they have not been shown to have any value when it comes to reversing dementia. Infusion-based therapy has not been proven to reverse dementia either, but we're holding out hope for it because of its foundational effect on toxic metals, vascular support, and antioxidant support. It turns out that free radicals are also damaging to the brain and that antioxidants in the form of B vitamins are important to maintain good brain health. The B vitamin family is critical to many biochemical reactions inside the brain. Problem often is getting the ideal dose to the target. That's one of the reasons we advocate at times infusion-based health support. It's a concept that is growing. It's been around for many decades. This idea that we can get therapeutic levels of vitamins into the body through the vein with safe IVs. I like that better than the drug therapy approach. I'll tell you what, if you had $50,000 a year to spend on your anti-aging, I would not waste it on a drug with side effects and little impact on cognitive decline. Taking action before catastrophe, supporting your health is your business and your responsibility, really. Modern medicine has its role. It intervenes in the face of acute illness, and it does so rather brilliantly, the 911 system. None of us would want to abandon that. However, you don't need to wait for the house to be engulfed in flame to take protective action. You know what awaits you if you live long enough. The big three are staring you down. Heart disease, sudden death from heart attack is not really that sudden. Again, a cumulative effect over decades. Cancer, similar cumulative effect. And of course, what we're talking about today is dementia and the new drug 
a dual helm, A-D-U-H-E-L-M, which I don't advocate anybody using. What I advocate for is taking stock of your brain health. And although there is no known treatment for dementia, we can at least do things to try to preserve our global health and that have the possibility of affecting cognition. Intravenous infusions of high-dose vitamins and chelation therapy, although not known to reverse cognitive decline, has tantalizing possibilities. We do have in our center four cases of individuals who have had improvement in their cognitive score after extended one to two years of monthly infusions of chelation therapy. That is not proof of benefit. It's compelling case studies. It's very hard to isolate cause and effect when it comes to something like dementia. There are so many variables, alcohol intake, lifestyle, but now we're starting to see its potential in this arena. Someday, a big study will be done, I hope, looking at infusion-based support for people with early onset cognitive decline. Someday, a large study will be done looking at people, well, people like me, who have made it part of their health maintenance routine. Every month, I do an infusion. Why? Because I like the evidence supporting its benefit because it's, it's inexpensive and safe. That study will not be done in my lifetime, nor yours. So we are left with this, folks. We are left with the benefit of the internet and our own intellectual curiosity to drive us to ask questions and to look for answers in spaces they're not commonly found. We have the freedom to utilize the information coming from the Food and Drug Administration and from our doctors and to process that along with our own self-directed research, some of which you get by listening to podcasts like this one. Well, I am sorry the drug didn't work for reversing dementia. That would have been pretty cool. It doesn't surprise me. They've been looking for a remedy for dementia. They haven't found it. So why did it get approved? I sigh sadly. I do believe there was a financial motive and pressure. Now that the drug has been approved at 50,000 plus per year, it will likely have a significant return on investment. The stock for Biogen, the company that produced the drug, was up over 30% the week the announcement came. It just needs to hang in there for about three years to get the money back and make lots of profit after that the FDA can pull it off the market for ineffectiveness or for cumulative adverse effects, which I predict will happen. I do predict the drug will eventually be pulled from the market as post-release studies and observation start to identify problems. Hope I'm wrong, and maybe it'll turn out to be surprisingly effective, but so far we haven't seen any evidence to that, to that effect. Well, folks, uh, I am Dr. Steve Pederuti. You've been listening to Intellectual Medicine. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. Wishing you 120 youthful years. Keep doing your research. Keep asking good questions and looking for answers. The body is a remarkable self-healing machine. It's incumbent upon us 
to care for it carefully and to monitor and take care of our health. Doctors and hospitals are not necessarily the, relied upon as the exclusive resource for maintaining your health. A lot of that, most of that falls into our own hands. Well, goodbye for now, folks. I'll see you next time.